Thank you, Amy. So how many have had leftovers? Are you going to eat those today? I hope. A little bit of uh, mashed potatoes, piece of pie. So hope you enjoyed it. My favorite part of Thanksgiving, though, was the prayer before the meal. We were with our grandkids down in Indianapolis and two of our three daughters, and when it came time to pray, I asked my son-in-law, since it's his home, you know, would you like to pray? And our little six-year-old said, no, I'm going to pray. We said, okay, you pray. Now, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're all starving. It's like a six-minute prayer. You know, who is teaching this child? She thanked God for everything from the carpet to the fireplace. I mean, she just went on and on and on. And it was just it almost brought tears to my eyes, but it didn't because I was hungry. But it was a great day. Now, in juxtaposition to that great day, here comes Friday, Black Friday. You know, and Monday is Cyber Monday. Only God could work it out so that today's message is about caring for the poor. I mean, do you get that? That the two biggest spending days in the year are bookending what God wants to say to you and to me. He's already said it to me, so now he's going to say it to you. And that is that we may think we've figured him out and how he wants us to live our lives. And that's why you're here on Sunday, because you're still searching for all the answers that God has, because he does have them all. And he wants you to understand that he's excited that you're here, that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice in it. We just did with wonderful worship songs and music. But there's more to the Christian life than Sunday. And that's why we've entitled this series The Rest of the Week. Because there is something about religious behavior that is not acceptable to God if that's all you're doing. If you're just showing up here on Sunday because you feel it's an obligation and that God will be pleased with you and you can check it off, then you've missed the whole concept of being a follower of Jesus Christ. God became very upset with Israel as a nation because that's how they were thinking. We have a checklist. As long as outwardly we're doing the right things for God, he'll be happy with us, and therefore we gain his approval. But God was not happy with them. I want to show you in Isaiah chapter 58, God speaks through the prophet, just the first three verses. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. This is God speaking to Isaiah. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. They ask me, for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. You see, God is saying there's, there's more to this dedication of self to him than just outward activity. There's also that inward knowledge of who God is and what he requires of you. 
in our world standards, if you took the, the whole world and you measured income, do you realize that only 2% of Americans would be considered living in poverty? That's based on the world's definitions of poverty. The rest of us live in middle and upper class, according to the world. And because of that, we quite often, as the church, will fail to see that which is right before us. We fail to see the needs of those who, in many cases, are not there because they chose to be, but because there were injustices shown to them. Now, some have come across difficult times and and some have come back from wars and all sorts of reasons are out there of why we have people who are less fortunate, who are the least of these, who, who have difficulties with life. Let me read you a definition of injustice. Injustice is a quality relating to unfairness or undeserved outcomes. The term may be applied in reference to a particular event or situation or to a larger status quo. In Western philosophy and jurisprudence, injustice is very commonly, but not always, defined as either the absence or the opposite of justice. The sense of injustice is usually felt in relation to human actions such as misuse, abuse, neglect, that is uncorrected or else sanctioned by a legal system of human beings. So injustice exists in our world. And God came to this world in Jesus Christ to set straight the injustices of the world, to bring justice to the world. And he did that in a very unusual way because he came to those of us who were not worthy at all, and he brought, him, brought himself to us and brought us to himself. He reconciled us to God. But he did it for a purpose that goes beyond one day a week. Because, first thought, followers are not one-day believers. None of you are one-day believers. Look what else God has to say in Isaiah 56, this time verses 6 and 7. God is speaking. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you seek the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. See, God redefines fasting. They had seen it as religious behavior. They had said, as long as, as we say we are fasting and we are coming to God and we're doing away with some element of food in our life, God will be pleased with us while just outside the gates, people are hungry, people are naked, people are freezing to death in the cold, but they're doing nothing about it. Then he adds that little caveat that they were also turning away from their own flesh and blood. And let me just insert that thought right now. Your family, it, they constitute the most important people to you on this earth. Family comes first. Your personal family comes first in every situation. The family of God comes next. And then the world that is out beyond us 
is the world that God wants us in our family of God, in our family units, to go out and reach so that they will have the privilege of the knowledge of who God is and have the joy of serving him. I've seen injustice. Many of you have also. I want to give you just four short vignettes of injustice just to kind of whet your appetite for what God is going to require of you from this day forward. My greatest exposure has been through Widow's Might Ministry that my wife leads. And that's where we have seen the plight of the widow in the world. Now, just like we look at the 2% here and think that, that much about them, we look at the widow here and we think, well, she has a husband who left her something when he passed away, or she has the church to care for her, or perhaps the government so that she can get the social security that comes from her husband's death. And, of course, she has, <clears throat> she has family. She has her family and his family. And in all those cases, that's true. So that the plight of the widow here, though often very sad and very needy, doesn't in any way compare to the plight of the, the person over there in the other parts of the world who's a widow. When her husband dies, the family blames her. They come and take everything she owns. Sometimes they take the children also. They leave her destitute untrained, incapable of doing anything for herself. And they say she is less than human. I cannot stand here and tell you publicly of the atrocities that take place to that widow. But I've heard them and I've seen them. And God called her, Linda out to go to those women to do what? Give them something? No, to tell them God loves you. You see, yes, they need the things of life, the training of life, but more than that, they need to know that God has a special place in his heart for the orphan and the widow because those are the most displaced people in the entire world. Second illustration, I have a friend from the Detroit area. In about two weeks from now, you'll be able to watch a video because he went to India supposedly to film some people and to bring that back and show the people in America what a wonderful thing is happening in Christianity in India. But that was not his real reason for going because he arrived there one afternoon and late that night he went out and filmed as they rescued eight girls from slave trading. The next morning they rescued five more and he filmed it. Why? To show the world what's happening. That children and young boys and young girls are being shown the ultimate injustice taken away from their families and from their lives and used for unspeakable purposes. It's there. The injustice is there. Who's doing anything about that injustice? The injustices are real. Last week, Linda and I went to apply for our visas for Nigeria. We go there on December 13th. And in talking with the owner of the passport company, we said, do you have many people applying for visas to Nigeria? He said, yes, we do, quite a few. And then we started talking about the injustices, and he said, yes, there was a woman in here recently in her 70s, and she was applying 
for a visa. And I said, why are you doing that? She said, well, I have this man over there that wants to marry me. And she said, I've already sent a lot of money over. And she said, now I want to get a visa so I can go and meet him. Now, he is a Christian man who owns this service. And he didn't tell us what the outcome was, but he said, it is so difficult to be able to hear of this injustice taking place and not knowing for sure what your limits are and what you can do. There are injustices of multiple kinds around this world. I, I look out and I see Mary Barr sitting there and I think about the injustice to women and children and how terrible it is that we have this in our world. You see, we're surrounded by it and, and quite often it's possible for us to just isolate ourselves from that and enjoy our Thanksgiving as we should, enjoy our families as we must, but at the same time forget about those who are less fortunate than we are. This church is not like that. We have dedicated ourselves to reaching those people who are the least and the lost. While we go after those lost from here and through you, we also are going after the least through the care store and through our deacon ministry. There's some great things happening here, but that's an organization doing it through you. It's time for you to do it on your own. It's time for you to grab hold of the concept that God has been merciful to you and to me, not just. Were it justice, we would all perish because none of us deserves the grace and mercy of God. All have sinned and fall short of that glory. But God, by his faithfulness, sent Jesus Christ to us because he saw that we were among the least. And he gave himself for us. Now, in that thought, hold on to that thought that there is injustice in the world and we are called to do something about that injustice every day of the week, not just on Sunday. And move with me to this. In James, the famous passage about widows and orphans, two sections of this are often overlooked. They're pre-qualifiers for reaching orphans and widows. But James is using orphans and widows not only as a reality, but also as an example of the hardest, which allows you then to think of those who are not quite as victimized by injustice, but they still are. Here's what he says. Verse 26, James 1, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Let's just start right there. He's saying that there is an attitude among those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that is required, and that is we're not supposed to gossip, we're not supposed to talk about other people, we're not supposed to let the tongue just go loose, and we're going to be talking about that starting in January, about how you live this life as a Christian verbally. He's concerned, again, with religious behavior. If you simply go and take care of orphans and widows and you speak deceitfully, you speak as you should not speak, then your work, though it may be beneficial to the people, does nothing for God. You see, there are a lot of people out there who are benevolent. There are a lot of wonderful people who are doing wonderful things, but they are not followers of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, their work brings no merit to them at all. 
God looks down on them and sees nothing because they haven't given their hearts over to him totally. Then we go through the section that says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and, a lot of people put a period right there, but it says and, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Takes us to our second thought. Second thought is this, that followers pursue holiness. It's not enough just to want to go and do what God has called us to do to care for all of the people. It's not enough that you may feel this call to go do something, but in doing that, your real pursuit is the holiness of God because God said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. But see, if the world is too much with you, then you're seeking the things of the world and bringing them back into yourself and saying, I'm praising God that I have all these things. God reverses it and says, don't go after the things, go after me, pursue me. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus came to this earth, his purpose was to seek and to save the lost, and it was to restore us into a relationship with the Father from whom we had fallen. We fell out of that relationship by the sin of our own lives. But Jesus came to restore that, and he said over and over again, I have only come to do that which the Father has given me to do. He was pursuing the Father. Every time he was to make a decision, he stopped and he prayed. He knew that he needed to be totally in line, plumb perfect with the Father in heaven. Now, if you know that and you're pursuing that, and that's your chief pursuit in whatever your calling may be. Doesn't matter what the calling is, you pursue God in that calling, and He will pour out on you everything you need to accomplish that calling. That's the purpose of life, is that we are called to Him, and then we are called to this life. Restoration is the key to the life of Jesus. James says, work in the flesh is useless. So how are you serving? When you go to work in the morning, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the doctor, all the scenarios, are you saying, okay, God, this morning as I'm getting up and going, I want to pursue you. I know I have to go and I have to fill out this form. I want to do that for you. I'm talking about becoming so possessed by Christ and his Holy Spirit that that's how you're thinking now. And when you're thinking that way, let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to bring people into your world who are in need. Some of them will be the widow. Some may be orphans. Some may be those who are out on the streets. But some may be your neighbor, maybe your coworker. There are people in need. There are many right here in need. And you know what? In the body of Christ, we have the capability of meeting every need. Through Christ, every need that's represented here can be met. But we have to bring those needs to him to meet them. So what God is asking you to do is the same thing he asked Israel to do. 
Will you make your fast, your sacrifice to me, the same sacrifice that the Son made to me, which is, will you empty yourself? If you empty yourself of self, God will fill you up with himself. If you empty yourself of self, God will fill him up, fill you up with himself. And then you're ready in your mind and in your heart to follow the moment-by-moment leading of his Holy Spirit because that was the promise that Jesus made. I'm not going to leave you alone. I want to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to lead you into all truth. Boy, that's where I want to go. I'm tired of living the lies. I'm tired of, of having the wrong motives. I want right motives to do right things. And so I want to focus on that. You've all been through trials. You've been through storms. You've been through difficult times. But God is here to restore you so that you can accomplish his purpose. I want you to watch this video with me that Lisa did for us. Hi, I'm Lisa Northrup, and I'm here to share my two-word story with you. Um, The two words I picked, the first one was shallow to describe my life, my early Christian life, um, and the second word is purposeful to describe what I'm trying to do as a Christian now. For the first 30 years of my life, um, accepting Christ as my Savior when I was in elementary school, I was a rule follower. I um, was one of the easy kids to raise. I was an only child, so life was easy and simple, and my parents were um, very active in church. Um, so being in church was like my second home. But I, I lacked in the area of really understanding what it was like to have a relationship with Christ. I was a Christian and it was more based on religion. It was following the rules, it was showing up to church, trying to do the right thing, um, and being a good kid. And as I grew up, I carried that over into trying to be a great mom or a great wife or have a great house. And um, it just didn't feel like there was a lot of depth to my life. And my life felt shallow. Um, and disconnected from God. Didn't really realize how disconnected I was until in the last 10 years going through some really difficult hardships. The first one just um, hitting me very hard where I felt like my whole life I was walking in shallow waters and life was easy and I was doing things my way, the way I wanted them to be done. The first storm that came in my life just swept me away. Then I was hit with another one and another one and another one. I literally felt like at certain points I was just drowning. I realized how much I needed God and I wanted God in my life and I knew that I couldn't get through what I was getting through without him. So I just prayed and I read and I joined groups at church trying to find answers to what God wanted me to do. I felt I had lost everyone that I was most close to besides my kids and it was a really lonely feeling and I didn't understand why 
God, I thought I was, you know, doing good things and, and, and making good choices. Why is this happening to me? I felt like God just kind of scooped me up out of the waters and, and took me back to shore. Kind of like a lifeguard, he rescued me and uh, really gave me some direction in life. And through prayer, uh, through support in the church, through um, reading his word every single day that I have to make a habit out of that. I have gone from being someone who was a religious person to being someone who has a true intimate relationship with God and it's not perfect and it doesn't make the difficulties of life go away but I definitely have direction and peace in my life and I feel much more purposeful in everything I do. And just as God, I feel, rescued me, I want to do whatever I can to help connect with people so that I can be there for others when they're hurting and they're struggling. Even though we never wish those hardships on ourselves or anyone else, God sure does deliver wonderful blessings from those. And that is my two-word story. God wants to speak to two different kinds of people in here today. Those like Lisa who have loved the Lord for a long time, but have struggled to try to understand how to make it through these difficult times. And God is a restorer, and God is a refiner, and He is shaping you in the form of his son because it's his will that you be conformed to that image. So be patient with God and pray because all of these trials that you're going through, they have an end and the end is the glory of God. And you will receive that which he has set apart for you in that day. It doesn't make going through them any easier. But think of this, what about those out there who are among the poor those who do not have the knowledge of God in them through Jesus Christ. God is saying, if you do anything else, take your focus off yourself and empty yourself and start going out after them. Look for them. Embrace them. Restore them. Now, the second person that God's speaking to this morning is the one who has not yet embraced him. If that's you, it is so easy to do because he didn't make it difficult for you and me. He took all the difficulty upon himself when he died for our sins. And then he offered himself to us and said, come unto me. You know, if you're in tough times, if you don't know where to go, if life is not good for you and you don't know me, come to me, I'll tell you who I am. Jesus is the I am, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection. You need to come to Jesus today and then have something great to be thankful for. But beyond that, you then need to learn how to live in expectation of what God has for you, and that's how followers do it. In a few minutes, I'm going to pray for both groups. Let's keep going right now. Followers have great expectations. Matthew 25 can be a frightening section of Scripture. If you're not walking with him, 
Now, I've broken this up into three segments and given them my own definitions. The first one is verses 31 through 33, and I just want to read these to you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. I call this the separation of the blessed. I am looking forward to that day because I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me against that day, that when that day comes, when you and I are resurrected, when we're lifted into his presence, that he will say, you're here on the right. Why? Not because of anything I've done, but because the shepherd of the sheep has separated me out because he has saved me and restored me and brought me into full relationship with him. But there's more to it than that. Now, that's what salvation is about. It's everything that Jesus has done for you. But in reply to that, in response, in that pursuit of holiness, there's something he requires of us, not to get into heaven, but as a thank you to God. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That's Jesus quoting Isaiah 58. That's Jesus saying, you have an inheritance. Remember I said, you can pursue the world and the world will give you whatever it is you can gain from the world. But when you die, you don't take anything with you. Or you can pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things you need for life will be added, but there's a bonus. When you die and go home to the Lord, you have an inheritance. The entire kingdom of God, you're a part of it. Wow, why would I waste time with this world when I have a world beyond worlds, the kingdom of God that is attracting me to serve him and to be everything that he wants me to be. That's my inheritance. So I call that the invitation for the blessed. So we have the separation of the blessed, then the invitation for the blessed, and lastly, the amazement. Then the righteous, verse 37, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. There we go. Whatever you do to the least of these. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seemed so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely 
and cold. What will your fast be this week? Will you go? Will you ask God to help you get there to know exactly who it is he wants you to touch? Now I'm going to pray first for those who may still need Christ in their lives, and then I'll pray for the rest of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are the lonely, the naked, the homeless, the unclothed, the hungry, and you saw in our need with great compassion you came and you saved us from the sin that so easily besets us. So Lord, today, thank you for the free offer of eternal life that you are putting out before this audience, that Lord, your Holy Spirit is moving now upon people who need to make a serious decision. It's either to come to know Jesus for the first time or to be rescued from that drowning storm to be able to live a life of value to you. If you're seeking Christ for the first time, then you pray this with me. Lord, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me, Lord. Teach me how to repent. And fill me up with your Holy Spirit that I might serve you all my days. Lord, to this end, we give thanksgiving. Thank you for the life you have given us and the privilege we have of worshiping you. So now be with us as we go the rest of the week. We pray in your name. Amen. If you happen to pray that prayer this morning, uh, I'd really like for you just to throw a hand up real quickly and then meet me out at the, uh, at the info center. So if there's anybody in here who's accepted Christ and you don't want to raise your hand, still meet me over there. I'm not going to hurt you. I have a gift for you. Uh, I'm going to give you a one-way ticket to Ireland to go visit Alan. And uh, so now we'll see how many are really saved, okay? Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and go out and be with you the rest of the week. Amen. Go have a great day.